And I do want to take you to that passage that was read in Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, today, if you need any reminding, today is Census Day uh, and Census Day 2021, a Sunday. Um, I don't like filling in forms like that on, on the Lord's Day. So I did ask during the week. I discovered that you could you could um, fill it in during the week. Just hope that nothing drastic was going to happen between then and today to make everything different. But there was very little that could change. But uh, I was filling the form in this this time. I did it online for the first time. So it's much, much easier than previous times. Realized that this is the fourth time that I've had to fill in a census form. And that makes you start feeling quite old when you when you've done it so many times before. And our son contacted me and said, what's all this about then? What, what do they use this for? I realized it's the first time he's ever had to fill in a census form. Uh, so it does make you feel your age to do that. But as I was filling in all those questions, it occurred to me that every single question divides people. It divides you up from somebody else. It's a sort of yes or a no, or, well, most of them are sort of yes or no. Have you done this? Have you done that? Um, and, and who are you? And so on. The census is, is designed to divide, to categorize, to separate. In fact, it emphasizes the fact that we are all different and there's no sense of one size fits all when it comes to, to life in the United Kingdom. So as I was filling that form in, it occurred to me how wonderful the gospel is, because the gospel is for everyone. Uh, and it doesn't make those distinctions, doesn't make those different categories, doesn't separate. And we find a wonderful statement of the gospel in Isaiah chapter 55. You see right at the beginning, first verse, come everyone, everyone who thirsts. How refreshing that is. Poverty doesn't exclude you from the gospel. The only need that you have is to be thirsty. Come everyone who thirsts. The only condition, if we might call it a condition, is that you recognize your need of God, your need of Jesus Christ. So who is inviting us? Well, we discover that it's the Lord. This whole chapter is being written in the voice of the Lord. We find that mentioned in verse eight when we get down that far. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So here we have a chapter in the Bible, which is the voice of the Lord himself. And he's giving us the gospel, the good news. Now, the good news is what I want to say to you today. The good news is simple. It doesn't demand anything that the youngest child or the oldest person could not do. It doesn't exclude those who are weak. It doesn't exclude those who are ignorant or those who are poor or those who are disabled in any way. It simply says, come and hear. And they are two things that the youngest child can do and the oldest person can do and everybody in between. Come and hear. The clearest statement is in verse three. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. The two great invitations there are to come and to hear. And we can all do that. We can all come and we can all hear, especially when we realize that the Lord is not asking us to go somewhere that is inaccessible. 
He's not asking us to climb the highest hill or to go down into the deepest mine. He is simply saying, come to me in your heart, in your mind. Come to me. Draw near to me. And hearing as well. We just need to listen to what he says. And there's a wonderful promise. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live that your soul may live. Now, the indication there, of course, is that we have a soul and we need to recognize that we are not simply physical beings. We have a soul, a life, and that life is is within each one of us. It's part of us, inseparable at the moment from our body. It's it's us. It's the way that we think and reason. It's the way that we feel. It's the way that we determine what should happen in our lives, our soul. And it also infers, of course, not only do we have a soul, but that soul is naturally dead. If your soul will live, if you come to God, it tells you that your soul is dead before you come to God. Dead in the sense of insensible to God. No life in it, no vigor in it, no hope for it at all. But if you come, if you come to God, and if you hear him, you will live. So we go on in the chapter. When we hear and when we come, what exactly is expected of us? What does it really mean to come to Jesus, to come to the Lord? What does it mean to really hear the the word? Well, verses six and seven give us the clearest answer to those questions. Verse six says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Those verses are telling us exactly what is required of us. When we tell people to come to Jesus, When we tell people to listen to what God says, what does it mean? Well, first of all, it means you must seek him. You must seek the Lord. There must be a determination in you. Remember, at the beginning of the chapter, we're told if you're thirsty. Well, if you're thirsty, it means that you sense there is this need in you. You've got to somehow quench that thirst. And the longer you go without quenching that thirst, the more thirsty you will be and the more it will affect you. And so it is with spiritual things. When we are thirsty, then we are driven to seek that satisfaction for our souls. And we're told here to seek the Lord because he's the only one who can truly satisfy the needy soul. And we're to seek him while he may be found. Now, that indicates to us that he may not always be found that there will be a time when he cannot be found. Seek him while he may be found. It also tells you that right now he can be found. Right now you can seek the Lord and you can find him. Then we're told to call on him. Not only must we make this determined effort in our lives to seek out the Lord and to seek to know him. Not only must we begin that with that great desire in our hearts to know God, but then we must call upon him, call upon him. 
That means to to ask him, to simply ask him to save us and to do that while he is near. You think of blind Bartimaeus sitting there uh, by the road to Jericho and he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And that's his moment. And he's got to call out to Jesus at that moment. He's got to ask Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he says. And, and he's calling out because he knows that that's the moment to do that. There are times when when the Lord is near. There are times when he is near enough for us to call out to him. And we know that he will hear us. We don't know how often those moments will come in our lives, which means that when he is near, that is when we must call out to him. He is near every time you hear the gospel. He's near right now this morning. He is near enough for you to call out to him, just as Jesus was near enough to Bartimaeus for him to call out to Jesus and Jesus would hear him. So we're to seek the Lord and we're also then to call on him. Now, calling on the Lord and seeking him also means turning away from other things. So we must forsake our wicked ways. We must turn our backs on those old ways of living. We must recognize that we've been living in the wrong way. And we must begin to live in the correct way. That means turning away from our wicked ways and not only the ways and the actions of our old lives, but also our wicked thoughts as well. We must recognize that in what we've done and in what we've thought, we have been wrong. And not only have we been wrong, but we've been sinful and we've offended a holy God. And then we are to return to our God. We are to come to him, the God who made us, the God who gave us physical life. We are to return to him. And there's a wonderful promise if we do this. You see, all of that is what it means to to hear and to to live. That's what it means to come to Jesus. That is what it means to know salvation. Seek the Lord. Call on him. Forsake your wicked ways. Forsake your wicked thoughts. And return to the Lord. Come to him. And the promise is that when you do that, you will receive compassion. You will discover that far from being an austere God, a God who is vengeful, a God who is against you because of your sins, you will actually discover that when you come to God in this way, you'll be received compassionately, lovingly. Not only that, but you will receive abundant pardon free and full pardon everything that you could possibly need will be given to you you will be completely forgiven of all of your sins and received into the family of God you will know him and you will receive grace and mercy from him well uh, you might be troubled by that you might be troubled in this sense. You might say, well, that, that all sounds too simple. And, and I know that uh, many people, myself included, before I came to Jesus, I just felt that that was too easy. It, it's got to be harder than that, we might say. Surely God demands more than simply coming to him, more than simply receiving his word. Surely there's something that we've got to do in order to, to gain this salvation. It, it can't, it just can't be as simple as hearing the good news, responding to it, 
and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and to change you. But it is that easy. You see, it troubles us, doesn't it? We're a bit like Naaman. You remember when Naaman went to Elisha and Elisha didn't even come to the door. He just sent a message. And the message was go and go and, uh, and wash in the, in the Jordan River. And Naaman, Naaman was angry, actually, because he said, surely it's got to be more difficult than that. I surely I, I thought he'd at least come out and pronounce some words over me and, and so on. And, and to go and wash in that dirty river when I've got plenty of other rivers to wash in. At home. And he wasn't going to do it because to him, it just felt too simple, inadequate to meet his desperate need. But, you know, with Naaman, that was exactly what he needed to do. The message was what he needed to hear. And, and that's what we need to hear. It doesn't matter who you hear the message from. It's not important. The person you hear it from is not the important person. The message itself is what is important. And you responding to it is crucial. I don't know whether you know the, the, uh, the hymn uh, that was written oh, many, many years ago now uh, in the 1800s. Uh, it was written by uh, Amelia Matilda Hull. Uh, she was born in 1812, and when she was 20 years of age, uh, she saw that someone had pitched a tent just outside the village where they were living. It was a traveling evangelist, and uh, he had pitched this tent there, uh, and he was having evening meetings and inviting people to come. Uh, and he was telling them of Jesus and giving them the invitation, quite a simple invitation to come to Jesus. Uh, well, she went along out of curiosity and she listened and she was captivated by the wonderful message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, and so she went back the next night. She was 20 years of age. And that night, the second night, the preacher was preaching from John chapter three, verses 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that struck her, Amelia, this fact that all you needed to do was to look. If you simply looked to Jesus, the crucified Saviour, then you would live. And uh, she went home and her father was a retired army captain. He had no time for the evangelicals. He had no time for this traveling preacher. And he said to his uh, his daughter, you, you, you mustn't go there anymore. Uh, and it was quite late at night. He said, I want you to. He was an army captain. Uh, he said, I want you to report to me tomorrow morning, nine o'clock in, in the library. And uh, and so uh, she did. But that night before she went to bed, she wrote the hymn. Uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful hymn. I'm sure you know it. Uh, it's the hymn, There is Life for a Look at the Crucified One. There is life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, look under him and be saved, under him that was nailed to the tree. Look, look, look and live. There is life for a look at the Crucified One. There is life at this moment for thee. Well, the next morning, that was the night she was converted. We're told that she actually wrote that hymn on the night she was converted. But the following morning, nine o'clock, she duly appeared before her father in the library. He was angry with her and uh, he was he was going to punish her in some way, we understand. 
But she just put that hymn on the table in front of him and he read it. He read it very quietly to himself. And then when he'd finished, he buried his face in his arms and uh, and he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is like that. Look and live. It really is in one sense that simple. But also it's because of the simplicity of the gospel that our proud hearts reject it. And we say it's got to be something more than that. Surely I've got to do something. I've got to go. Some, I've got to show somehow how how penitent I am. But the Lord Jesus uh, knows that we are weak. And so in this chapter, if we go back to if we go back to Isaiah chapter 55 in this chapter. We have four wonderful reasons why we can believe that these things are true. You know that the Lord is, is so gracious to us. He knows the way that we think. He knows in our hearts. He knows that when we hear the gospel, we're going to say it can't be. There's got to be another way. I, I've got to go on a pilgrimage or I've got to show by some good works or or I've got to be especially religious about the way I live my life. Looking to Jesus and believing in him and seeking him. It, it's got to be more than that. Well, the Lord knows that we're like that. So in the rest of chapter 55, we have four great reasons why we can and must believe that all we need to do is to look and live. And each one of these reasons is introduced with the word for, F-O-R. First of all, in verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Then in verse nine, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And in verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, and so on, uh, so shall my word be and then verse 12 for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace I, I want to just share those four reasons with you this morning in case there is first of all anyone here this morning who has not yet come to the Lord Jesus you have not yet surrendered to him you have not yet sought him with all of your heart and turned your back on your old life and your old ways you have not yet received this abundant pardon and grace from him. There may be someone like that this morning. And if that's you, you need to hear these four reasons to be absolutely convinced. But then for all of us, there are times in our Christian lives when we need to come back because there's always that temptation of thinking, well, is this true? Have I really based my life on, on the truth or or have I missed it? Is there something that I'm missing? Is there something more that I should do? Now, we need to be very careful when we get to that point and those temptations come. We need to go back to the Bible. And here's one of the places where you could go. So let me just share these four reasons with you why you can believe that all you have to do is to look and you will live. All you have to do is to hear and to come to the Lord Jesus. The first reason is this. For God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Here's the first reason. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. 
if you were going to work out a way of saving people, if you were going to work out a way of forgiving people for their sins, you would never think up the gospel. In a million years, you would never, ever work it out that way. Because our way of thinking is completely different. I mean, you can tell that if someone comes to you and they've really offended you or they've hurt you in some way or they've done something seriously bad and they come and just say to you, I'm sorry. Immediately, you're going to think, well, it's easy to say you're sorry. I need some sort of evidence. You've got to do something to prove that you're sorry. And we, we tend to think in those terms. And even more so when we think of almighty God, you would never have thought that the way of salvation was for God's own son, the second person of the triune God to actually become a human being. You would never have dreamt that up. Why should the divine son of the living God who is eternal take on himself a human body? And, and be born into the very world that he created. You never have dreamt that up. And, and for this son of God to be born into such poverty and to live his life without anywhere to lay his head. And then at the end of his life, having done nothing but good, to be cruelly treated and beaten and put on a cross and left there to die. You would never have thought that. But that's because God's thoughts are not your thoughts. And that's why you can believe the gospel, because these are God's thoughts. This is God's way. His way is for simply to for us to humble ourselves in his presence and seek him for this salvation that he alone can give. Second reason. Verse nine. For God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. Again, we would never have thought up this way of salvation, but neither would we have done it that way. Our way of being saved is to live a good life. That's our way. Oh, I'll live a good life. I'll be better than other people. I'll try and be generous to people. I'll live a religious life. I'll pray a lot. I'll, uh, I'll do a lot of religious things. I'll go to a lot of church services. I'll try to serve God in every way that I can. It would be our way, wouldn't it? We would never have saved people in God's way. We would have made them do something. We would have made it hard. We would have definitely made it hard so that not many people could be saved, only those who are really serious about it. And we would make them achieve their salvation in some way. But you see, that's not God's way. Because God says, no, it's not you who will save yourself. It is I who will save you. That's how you will be saved by simply throwing yourself upon my mercy and my grace and coming to me in my way, not your way. You know how many sad, sad, sad people in their lives, they get to their funeral and they say, I want you to play. I did it my way. That is tragic. Because life lived in our way will never end in God's presence. We need to go God's way and God's ways are not our ways. That's the second reason why you can believe the gospel. Third reason. 
for God's word is powerful and effective. God's word is powerful and effective. Verse 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, what's all this about? This is about us believing that God can simply say you are forgiven and you are. It's, it's us believing that God's word is powerful enough to do that. You might remember that uh, Jesus gave a wonderful illustration of this with the, the, uh, the royal official and the son who was who was seriously ill. You remember that this man came to Jesus um, and uh, John chapter three, and he said, my my son is dying and please come, please come. And and uh, Jesus says to him, your son will live. And the man goes home believing that what Jesus said will happen. And when he gets home, he discovers that at exactly the moment that Jesus said your son will live, the son recovered and was perfectly well. So that royal official learned a, a crucial lesson. And it's a lesson for you and me as well. The lesson is this. If Jesus says you are saved, then that moment you are saved. His word is that powerful. His command is that effective. And here in these verses in Isaiah 55, it's compared to the, the rain and the dew. God sends them from heaven, from the sky, and, and they achieve their purpose. They water the earth and the, worth, the, the earth brings forth uh, abundantly and, and, and so on. And in the same way, when God sends his word out, it will save. The gospel is powerful and effective for salvation. You don't need anything else. All you need is for God to say, you are forgiven. All you need is this promise of God. Seek me while I may be found. Call on me while I am near. Forsake your wicked ways. Forsake your wicked thoughts. Return to me and I will have compassion on you. I will abundantly pardon. The word of God is that powerful. And that effective, which is the third reason why we can believe the gospel. And the fourth reason is because God's ways always lead to joy. God's ways always lead to joy. Verses 12 and 13 uh, of Isaiah chapter 55. For you shall go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall, be, uh, and it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. When you're saved, one of the great evidences of salvation is that there is joy. There is such joy in, in your heart. 
you are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. You know that something has happened, something glorious has happened to you. I remember one young man and uh, he'd, he'd been away on a on a church weekend. He wasn't saved at that point. He'd gone away for work down in Southampton and uh, he found his way to the church. And the next weekend, the church were having an away day, away weekend, a house party. And they said, would you like to come? Said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come. He wasn't saved. He heard the gospel that weekend. Absolutely determined not to become a Christian. He was absolutely determined. His mother was a Christian. Um, his father wasn't, but his mother was. And uh, I'm not going to become a Christian. Anyway, he came home and uh, Monday, he held out all of Monday. And then Tuesday, Tuesday morning, he, he said that uh, he couldn't hold out any longer. He said, I just had to get down on my knees in my room and just ask God to save me. Ask Jesus to come into my life. But this was the point that always interested me. He said, I went out to work that morning. He said, I went out the door and everything was different. Everything. He said, the whole world seemed to take on a new meaning and a new life. There was the, the flowers and the birds and the and the sky and even the grass. Everything was so different, he said. But of course, it wasn't that everything was different. It was that he was different. The joy of the Lord had come into his heart. And, and that's what's being mentioned here. We find it previously in Isaiah, just to, to, to show you the, the sort of parallels. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. Very, very similar words. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, that obviously has some relevance for the future. But but the point is this. When you're ransomed, when you're redeemed, you have a song in your mouth. You have joy in your heart. You have gladness because of what? has happened to you. And uh, and then another verse that speaks of the same thing, or a couple of verses, uh, Isaiah 44 and verse 21. Isaiah 44 and verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. There it is. When our sins have been blotted out like a cloud. Our sins like a mist. When we return to the Lord, when we are redeemed from him, by him, all of heaven and earth rejoices and we rejoice as well. God's ways lead to great joy. And so for those four wonderful reasons, I want to urge upon you this morning that it is that simple. But simplicity does not mean that it's easy. 
something can be very simple and yet be incredibly hard to do. And, and that is the case, isn't it? Because our hearts are so hardened. We are so rebellious that we will try anything than God's way. We will listen to anyone but the Lord. But I want to urge you this morning that that's the gospel. And what a wonderful gospel it is. Come if you're thirsty, if you feel your need. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He may not always be found. You don't know how many other opportunities you will have to hear this gospel. You don't know. I don't know. That means it is crucial that we respond when we hear the voice of God. Call on him while he's near. He may not always be near. So call upon him while he is near and turn your back on all those old ways. They can never save you anyway. They can never bring you grace, compassion and love. There is free and full salvation for all who come to the Lord Jesus Christ and every reason for you to believe that.